This sermon, Becoming a Word and Spirit Church, was preached by Mark Elderton on January 30th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Well, we're going to start by reading in Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Uh, which is Jesus after the resurrection. He's meeting with his disciples, and he's giving them a commission. And then from there, we're going to jump over into Acts chapter 1, which is sort of the, the finish of the conversation before he rises, before he ascends to heaven. And so we're going to read those two, stop and pray, and then uh, speak about the Word and the Spirit. All right, Luke 24, beginning in 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now Acts 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Let's pray. It is by your spirit this morning, Lord, that we have minds to be opened and to understand. So do again the miracle that you did there at the end of Luke 24 and open our minds once again fresh to receive from you all that you have because it's your desire that the gospel change and transform us but also those who are yet to be brought in, those who are our neighbors and our co-workers and our family, those in this city. It's your desire that your name be known and exalted and that people be rescued from their sin. And so we ask that you would penetrate our hearts today again by your spirit and give us expectation and fresh understanding and wisdom and faith going forward as your messengers. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that you place a high value on the word of God in this church. I was talking to Karen out there uh, right beforehand, and that value was coming out. We were talking about the importance of truth. I know that you had Sovereign Grace Universities. That's what it was called, right? So a bunch of you signed on to go through systematic theology. you got to be pretty serious about the Word if you're going to be doing that. 
Uh, that's study, that's rigor, and that shows a desire for truth, that that matters. And I join you in that, which is why it was worth being on the committee to help put the statement of faith together. If you're not grounded in God's word, we are going to go astray. There has to be an anchor that's holding us down. And so what does God's word says? That we must always be under. Well, you have that value. Now, what if I said this morning that God's word is not enough to transform people? What if I said that? What if I said that the truth you learned in your systematic theology and your Sunday preaching and your regular Bible reading is not enough to change you or me or your non-Christian neighbor? What if I said that? What you might do is you might go to Derek after the meeting and say, why did you invite this guy to preach? You built him up as this word guy and like, now he's like bringing it all down. I hope you have that impulse. Because you, you know things. You know that God created the universe by the word of his power, and he sustains it by the word of his power. That doesn't sound impotent. You know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is power. So how can you say God's word isn't enough to transform people? Well, I am saying that because that's the reality that is in both the scriptures and in your own experience. How else can we explain the fact that many people heard the gospel from Paul or Stephen or even the Lord himself and they were not changed? Paul would preach the gospel and they stoned him. (laughs) Stephen preached the gospel. They stoned him. Jesus preached the gospel. They crucified him. They weren't transformed though they heard it. God's word is always going to be met with a varied response described in Acts 17, 32 to 34. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, this is from Paul, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. But some men joined him and believed. God's word will always have those responses. Some will reject it. Some will say, I need to think about that some more. And others will say, I believe that. But not everybody's transformed. Because just the knowledge of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, even if you hear the knowledge of the whole book of Romans, it doesn't transform you by yourself. More than knowledge is necessary. So what's missing? So let me restate my my statement there with, Four extra words. God's word is not enough to transform people without the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to transform people without the Holy Spirit. It's only when the word of God is attended with the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit that transformation takes place. That's when people trust in Jesus as Savior. That's when the life-giving kingdom of God advances and into our hearts and into our world. And that's the principle we see taught in these two passages that we read from Luke and Acts. At the end of Luke, Jesus makes his first appearance to the 11 apostles and a handful of other disciples. 
after his resurrection. They can hardly believe their senses. Is this really Jesus? Um, But he is. He really rose from the dead. Here he is in the room. And it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So previously, when you read through the Gospels, the the disciples are just like us. They don't get it. They're walking with Jesus day by day. Years go by. They they know he's important. Peter even says, you're the Christ. They have all this information about him, but they never really put it together. So they were surprised when Jesus was crucified, and more surprised when he was resurrected. They didn't get what was the gospel. And so Jesus comes, and he opens their minds to understand, and they go, aha, I thought the gospel was you were going to deliver us from the Romans, but now I know you are going to deliver us from our sins. Your death in our place for what we do wrong. You taking the blame and the punishment for our wrongdoing, for our sinful lives. That's the gospel. You coming and then rising again and showing us that those who believe and trust in you as Savior will also be forgiven and rise. And so that's the gospel. And he opened their minds in that moment. Up until then, they didn't get it. They had knowledge. They had First-hand knowledge, you might say, following Jesus around. But finally something dawned on them. Aha! Now we get it. Now that, that the, the things that we saw and heard, now it's making sense because you open up our, our minds. Now you might say, okay, now they're ready to go proclaim the gospel, right? Because he says, you're going to go proclaim him to all the nations. So you say, okay, get going. Get, get going on that. But what does Jesus say? He said, no. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You are not ready yet. Now you have understanding. Very good. But you need one more thing. You need to be clothed with power from on high. What is that power? Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, if you go about preaching forgiveness of sins in my name without the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit, nothing is going to happen. The word is not enough, even though now you understand it correctly. You also need the Spirit. So you wait right here until the Spirit comes and clothes you with power. Then when you preach the word, you will see transformation. Not everybody. Some will mock. Some will say, I need to think about it. Some will believe. But they'll believe because the Holy Spirit has come in power and is going to do something that's beyond what the words do. I will build my church, Jesus said, and it'll be by the word and by the Spirit. And that's what the gates of hell will not prevail against. And that's what you see happen in Acts 2. They wait. That day comes. The day of Pentecost. Spirit is poured out. The promise of the Father is kept. They preach the gospel. Thousands respond. 
And you might think, okay, that was a highlight day, that was a banner day, um, and then after that it kind of just was, I don't know, just the after stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of continued on for a while, but that was the big day. Um, where that, that's where they got everything they needed, and they could just kind of run from there. But you know what? They actually continued to ask. They continued to seek God and say, but we need your power continually. And you see that. You get to chapter 4. Acts 4, 29 and 30. They prayed. This is after they've been arrested and released. They prayed, Lord, Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your Holy Spirit, Holy Servant Jesus. So what are they praying for? Give us boldness to preach the gospel. The words, they have to be said. We need to preach the truth about Jesus Christ. But we also need this. We ask for you to stretch forth your hand. We ask you to do things like healing and signs and wonders to make people realize this is supernatural what we're dealing with here. This message is from heaven and heaven is breaking in and things are happening associated with this word that are are demonstrations that isn't, isn't just the word of man. God is speaking to us here. The powerful God who created the universe is at work right now. So they're praying for both. Give us the boldness to preach the truth and also send forth your spirit to do amazing things. They they kept asking for that. Pentecost wasn't the end. Here's the takeaway from all this. A church can be strong on teaching and on understanding God's word, but weak in relying on the spirit of God and praying earnestly for his activity. We can operate on half of what is needed to see transformation happen, so to speak. I took a course at the Sovereign Grace Pastors College a few years ago. It was Sam Storms teaching on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit And he gave us a list of characteristics of what he calls word churches and spirit churches, which was really revealing. (laughs) Uh, Word churches are those who highly value the preaching of God's word, but who don't leave room for the spirit of God to work in other ways. Spirit churches, on the other hand, are those who highly value the broad ministry of the spirit but leave less room for a serious pursuit of God's word. So both churches have strengths and weaknesses. When Sam described word churches and spirit churches, it was immediately clear to me which side our church was on. (laughs) We were 100% in the word church category. Um, He had a list of characteristics of those kind of churches. One was predictability. The word church is like predictability. If it's not in our plan, it's not allowed. (laughs) Whether that's a Sunday morning, whether that's your your script for the next six months and what you're doing, no no spontaneity. I want predictability. Um, That describes my impulses to a T. Spirit churches, on the other hand, value spontaneity. Who needs a plan? Let's just follow the Spirit and see where it goes, right? The biblical church 
is a word and spirit church. It's not either or. It's, it's both and. It's a church that's anchored in the clear and careful teaching of God's word, but that also leaves room for and asks for the spirit of God to empower that teaching and to do things alongside of that teaching for the good of the church and the conversion of unbelievers. Now, this is just my opinion, so don't take this as authoritative. But I think in our post-Christian cultural environment, it is especially important that we cry out to God, not only for boldness with the truth of the Scripture, but that he would do mighty things by his Spirit. Things that the early church prayed for, things that cannot be explained just by human communication. People have already heard, or they think they've already heard, everything they need to know about Christianity in our culture. And most are not interested. And they have bad examples of people who go by the name Christian, um, and we have to admit there are a lot of bad examples. We have to admit that the church in America has got problems. And so they think they know everything they need to know, and it's hard to get a hearing for the truth. So what it's going to take to make progress, I think, to see people changed is both word and spirit. In other words, it's going to take the same thing it took in a pre-Christian culture to reach people. We are going to have to have confident speaking of the gospel and the mighty work of the Spirit, doing things that make people realize heaven is breaking into earth. And that means becoming a word and spirit church. We value the truth of Scripture and the activity of the Spirit. So for churches like mine that are eager for the Word and not so eager for the ministry of the Spirit, that means we have to make an adjustment in order to have biblical balance. I can't speak for where your church is at, but since Derek asked me to speak on this, I'm guessing that there's something to press into and something to grow in, and I'm sure that's true for all of our churches. We need to be more intentional about asking for and relying on and expecting the Spirit of God to do with things that only God can accomplish. So let's talk about what that looks like in practice. What could this mean for our church life? Uh, what if we're more intentional about relying on the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, you'll be seeing a lot of that as you go through Acts, and you probably already have. I'll just talk about expectations. Um, expectations, what we should expect God to do as we venture forth in mission for Jesus, asking, seeking for the Holy Spirit to be present and working in us and outside of us. What would that look like? What are our expectations? So for that, we want to jump to Acts chapter 10. If you have a, a Bible with you, I invite you to jump over there. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's a long, long passage. I will be making, uh, quoting a few things from it. But Acts 10, I could have picked a number of stories in Acts for this, but in Acts 10, you have Peter and a man named Cornelius. Um, and in this chapter, we learn about Peter's first real venture out of his comfort zone and into the world of the Gentiles. Jesus already gave him understanding of God's word. At Pentecost, he's clothed with power. 
power of the Spirit. He's among those who've been asking for, for God to give boldness and for signs and wonders. But he spent his whole time in Jerusalem to this point. Uh, that's, that's where he knows. That's, that's his environment, Jewish culture in that city. He hasn't really been anywhere else, but now he goes and he takes this trip to a place called Joppa, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where he gets summoned to the home of a Gentile, which is something he's never been in before. And so chapter 10 is a story about how all that comes to pass. I'm going to point out four things we can expect God to do as we go forth as a word and spirit church uh, from this story. Four things we can expect God to do. Number one, we can expect God to be working apart from us. God will be working apart from us. In chapter 10, we start out with a man named Cornelius, and Cornelius is a centurion. So he's in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. He's a big shot guy in the Roman army. He is also a Gentile, not a Jew. However, we're told that he's a God-fearer, so he respects the Jewish religion. He's not circumcised. He's not a full convert, but he's sympathetic, um, a God-fearing man. It says in Ch- that he's a devout man who feared God and who prayed continually to God. We would call him now a religious man who is not a Christian. That's who Cornelius is. Here's what happens when Cornelius is praying one day. Starting in verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. Now, this Cornelius is eventually going to put his trust in Jesus as Savior. But notice how it all begins. It started with a vision of an angel of God. God is working on Cornelius way before Peter even knows he exists. This story doesn't start with Peter and Peter's strategy to go and reach the Gentiles. No, it starts with God going into the Gentile world to a man and saying, I'm going to tell you something. Go send for this guy. God is working in Cornelius, in this non-Christian religious man, way before Peter even has a clue, even before Peter wants to go to a guy like him. But God is at work there. So the question is, do we expect God to be doing that in our day? Do you think that the Spirit of God might be operating on someone right now, putting in their minds something that makes them open to the gospel? I think we can become cynical, you know, if we watch too much media. <laughs> cynical that, well, our culture, is, our, our culture is gone. Our culture is going downhill. That Nobody's listening to Christians anymore. Nobody wants to know this stuff. And we can just think, that's just the way it's going to be now. Let's just hold on and kind of ride it out. But do we believe that God is putting his finger on this person and that person? Like he said to Paul, I have many people in this city. Do we believe God can do that? I mean, I don't know how many are Christians in this room. 
But if you are, if you've put your trust in Christ, that's what God did for you. Somewhere, sometime, he said, you. (laughs) Might not have been a vision, but the Spirit was working. I think he wants us to believe God is still doing that. I was watching Tim evangelize our Uber driver yesterday. Yeah, you all laugh because you know this is what he's like. So actually, I had my turn in the front first. We had this guy two times. So I'm in the front, and I'm not even thinking about talking to this guy. Um, so then we switch places on the second route, and, then, and he fired me. He says, oh, let's, let's have the pros come in or something like that. Anyway, so I watched him, and he has this expectation, like, you know, a 10-minute conversation, 15 minutes, that might be enough to plant a seed in this guy. Or maybe we find out that God's are maybe this is a Cornelius guy driving our, our Uber. And so he's engaging with the gospel. I was instructed. But that's the kind of attitude we can have. Is there's people out there like Cornelius. And you don't know that you might not be the one when you open your mouth to find out that that's who they are. We need to be expecting that God is at work in people apart from us. That's the first thing when we're relying on the Spirit. Uh, the second one is we can expect God to speak to us directly. We can expect God to speak to us directly. By that I mean we can expect God to speak to us not only through his written word, though definitely yes and amen to that, but he can also speak to us apart from his word. And I know that's a dangerous thing to say because it can be easily misunderstood, but we have an example of it in what happens to Peter. So back to the story, verse 10, totally oblivious to the existence of Cornelius, Peter is also praying, and here's what happens while he's praying. He fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Then immediately after this episode, the messengers arrive from Cornelius. They get to the door. They ask for Peter. They say, follow us. And he realizes, Peter realizes, ah, there's a connection here between this vision and these Gentiles. God, this vision isn't about food, ultimately. It's about people. And he even figures it out after he goes there in verse 28. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, the gospel's not just for the Jews. It is for the Gentiles. But it takes this vision to break into Peter's life to to help him recognize that. He's got such a cultural bias. He's grown up in such tradition thinking that the the, the Jews are the people of God and everybody else is not, and that the blessings are for us. And he he can't break out of that until God speaks to him directly and says, Hey, Peter, this this vision, this, this illustration of unclean foods, and then these people coming to the door. To be open to the Spirit is to be open to God speaking directly to us. We need a category for God doing that. 
He does it outside of his word, never in opposition to his word, always in agreement to his word. Otherwise, it's not the Spirit of God speaking. But can he speak to us directly alongside of and in agreement with his word? Yes, this is one example, this vision. There are other examples. We call them the revelatory gifts. They're listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They include things like prophecy, tongues with interpretation, the utterance of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. Those are all gifts of the Spirit given to the church where the Spirit is directing, leading, informing, saying something now. They're strange, but they're in the Bible. And the Spirit uses that as part of the package for building up the church and reaching the lost. So we have to be open to God speaking to us in those ways. I know that sounds dangerous. It could open the door to letting our own ideas, our own experiences, etc., determine what is and isn't truth. We can't go down that road. The written Word of God is our authoritative source and the only authoritative source of truth. But I'm just pointing out that to be open to the Spirit means we're open to God speaking to us through these means, through these gifts of the Holy Spirit, used rightly, in order, and so forth, as 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 speaks about. We need to be able to believe that God could do the same thing he did for the church in Antioch. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work that I have for them. Somehow in their prayer meeting, they realized it's time for you guys to go. That's listening to the Holy Spirit. Third thing we can expect as a word and spirit church. We can expect to be placed in uncomfortable ministry situations that require dependence on the Spirit. We can expect to be placed in uncomfortable ministry situations that require dependence on the Spirit. So moving forward in the story, Peter goes into the home of Cornelius. He obeys God. He crosses this, this threshold out of his comfort zone. And so he asks, why did you send for me? Because he still doesn't know why he's there. And Cornelius tells his story. Well, I saw this vision. This angel told me this. And he ends with verse 33. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking in that moment? You want to hear all that the Lord has commanded me to tell you? I didn't even know that I was supposed to be here until like an hour ago. I did not prepare a message. I have no idea. <laughs> That's what I'd be thinking. Talk about being put on the spot. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I remember in 1985, I was in Mexico on a mission trip. And our goal for this trip, it was like five weeks long. Our goal was to get as many ministry experiences as, as we could. Everything from like Mexico City to the jungles. We were everywhere. And we were doing these open-air meetings and stuff, and somebody would give a testimony, and we'd sing, and somebody would speak. Sometimes it would be in a church. 
Well, one, one night, it was in a church, and the guy, the missionary that was leading us around, said to me, hey, hey, Mark, uh, how about you bring the message tonight? You know, it's in an hour. And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. But inside, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that, no. I mean, you got one hour <laughs> to speak to all these people? I don't think so, but I said yes. Then I went and prayed hard. <laughs> I wrote down a few things. <laughs> You know, Lord, give me a verse. Give me something. I don't know. And so I, so I, I get my notes, my little notes, and I read the text, and I say a few things. Um, and that night, four people put their trust in Christ. Wow. I'm like, wow. That's something only God can do. My little 15-minute preparation wasn't going to produce that. That's got to be the Holy Spirit. But it was uncomfortable. <laughs> I, the comfort part of me was like, you know, there's some other people here that I think are better at that. <laughs> you know, here am I, send my sister, that kind of thinking. Um, we're going to be in uncomfortable places if we're following the Spirit. You're going to be in situations you didn't plan on, that you weren't ready for, and that the Spirit has to show himself and work Otherwise, nothing is going to happen. But that's by God's design. Because it's in those moments that we free ourselves from all the things that we rely on, that we feel comfortable with, what we think our strengths are. And we go, Lord, nothing's going to happen unless you do it. And he loves to bless that posture. That's where he loves to work. Because when it's done, you go, yeah, I got nothing to boast in. I mean, that was, that was God doing that. That's, where he loves to pre- that's what he loves to do. But people like me have trouble with that. I like predictability, which is a way of saying I like control. But we lose control. We don't have control, actually. We yield all that to the Lord and let him do it. We be faithful. You got to stand up and say something. But he's the one that's going to bring the fruit. I want to, there's, a, there's a saying, if you rely on man, you get what man can do. When you rely on God, you get what God can do. I want to see what God can do, don't you? <laughs> and we will if we rely on the Word and the Spirit. One more observation, and then I'll close. The fourth thing we can expect if we leave room for the Spirit to work, we can expect God to do amazing things. We can expect God to do amazing things. So what happened after pre? Peter preached the gospel to this house. They're both necessary. Together they bring transformation. And it was so dramatic and so unexpected that the believers, the Jewish believers who were with Peter, they were like amazed. I didn't know this could happen. (laughs) This wasn't their strategy. (laughs) They weren't even all that expectant. They just, but they showed up. They were faithful. The word was preached and the Holy Spirit fell. So do you expect God to do amazing things? Or have you come to the point in your life where you think, well, that couldn't happen, not in my household, not in my city? Do you think that we'll never see anything like this? Real transformation, like dramatic transformation. Have we ruled that out? Maybe if all we're thinking is, The word is enough, and it looks like the word hasn't worked. 
word and the spirit of God. That transforms, which is why we want to lean in and we want to be like those disciples in Acts 4 who prayed, give us boldness to speak the truth and the gospel, but also move your hand. <laughs> do what just mere human communication of words cannot do. Actually invade people's lives and transform them from the roots up. We ask for it. We seek it. And do all that you want to do along the way, even if it's uncomfortable. Even if you make us in uncomfortable situations, even if you have somebody with tongues and an interpretation, a prophetic word, whatever, uh, let's pray, let's ask, whatever you want to do. These are spiritual gifts. They're not man-made gifts. These are God-given gifts. Whatever you want, Lord, if that will bring people into your kingdom then that's what we want, even if that's uncomfortable. Because we want to be rejoicing like those guys, Peter and his, his cohorts, like, oh, this is amazing. Wow, look what God has done. We want that. We could ask the question, does that somehow replace the gospel of Jesus Christ as our center if we're asking for these things? Well, of course, anything can replace Jesus Christ as our center on any given day. Football can do that for you. Not so much for me presently because my team got ousted last week, the Packers. It was not fun to watch. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin. I was born there. That can become something that replaces Jesus Christ. Anything good can replace Jesus Christ as our center, but does it need to? No. Not if it is God's very way of exalting Jesus Christ, which both the Word and the Spirit are intended to do. In Luke 24, Jesus started out by, by walking him through how everything written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms about him must be fulfilled. He took them, their understanding was, look back at your Old Testament and see, it's pointing to me. It was always there. And the Spirit was sent for what? The power is for witness. The power is to bring attention to Jesus Christ. In John 16, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. And it might be in an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> it might be through one of his spiritual gifts that makes you realize God is here. But the goal of it is for Jesus Christ to be exalted in this church, in my church, in our hearts, and in the hearts of those yet to be brought in. And so may he help us to lean in to both. The word and the spirit so that we can see his name exalted and enjoyed among this people and the people yet to come in. Let me pray.